Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dear Asian Americans here for episode 62, talking to Unsu Jung, the creator of Corey Angry. I want to share with you an amazing event that is coming up next Thursday on July 30th. And it is an event that will share with you tips and tricks on how to talk to your Asian family about anti-Black racism. It's an amazing event that is being hosted by Michelle Kim of Awaken, a DEI expert, and Dr. Kim Tran. And if you've asked yourself any of these questions, how do I have conversations with my family members who are perpetuating anti-Blackness? We keep getting into arguments. How can I talk to them about anti-Black racism with my parents who have also been experiencing anti-racism towards us their entire lives? Michelle and Dr. Kim are here to help. They're going to share with you their thoughts, their educational research, and actionable tips on how we can have thoughtful and productive conversations with our family. I'm going to link the Eventbrite to uh, the event, which is next Thursday, uh, July 30th at 11 a.m. on the West Coast, 2 p.m. on the East Coast. And this event's pretty cool. It's also got a sliding scale. You can pay anywhere from 5 to $30, depending on how much you can pay. So really excited to share this event with you. Again, it's called How to Talk to Your Asian Family About Anti-Black Racism. And if you just breathe a big sigh of relief when I said those words, please do join me, Michelle, and Dr. Kim at this event next Thursday. Dear Asian Americans is proud to support this event, and we will see you there so we can build a more inclusive, diverse, and equitable community together. I'm so excited to share this conversation with Unsu. You know her as Corey Angry on Instagram, and if you haven't checked it out, please do go subscribe to her account. It's Corey Angry, and be sure to check out our Instagram at Dear Asian Americans to check out an amazing custom-made piece that Unsu created just for Dear Asian Americans. So excited to share this conversation with you, and I hope that it empowers you. I hope that it makes you feel less alone, and I hope that it, it really gives you an opportunity to feel that you can really express your emotions in however, in whatever way and form that feels natural to you. Thanks again for tuning in. Enjoy this conversation with Unsu. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dear Asian Americans. Um, hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe. Um, and I've been saying that for four months, and I don't want to say it anymore. So please keep your masks on. Please stay home. Um, our guest today and I both live in different parts of LA. And, uh, you know, there's a good chance that things will shut down completely again in the next couple of weeks. And we need all of your help to put on your masks. Um, Dum Dum in the White House post tweeted a picture today of himself wearing a mask and said, look how patriotic I am. So um, not ideal. Should have done it four months ago, but we'll take it. Um, and I think that's a good segue to talk about our guest and what she does uh, in her, uh, what I think is actually one of the coolest things I've ever discovered on Instagram. Um, but to use our creative efforts and our gifts, gifts and talents uh, to put in energy into creating things that not only express our creativity, but also get across some of the messages that we believe that our community needs to hear and in different mediums. Um, some of you guys listen to podcasts. Obviously, if you're listening to us and other people watch videos and other people use different artistic skills to voice their creativity. So, so excited and geeked out, in fact, to introduce to you to our guest, Unsu Jung. Hi, Unsu. Hi, Jerry. Thanks for having me. And thanks for a really awesome introduction to have me on board. And now the guests are like, 
who is Unzu and why, <laughs> what, what does she do? Um, you are better known in the world of Instagram um, yeah. by, I don't want to call her your alter ego, but she is your creation. I learned this work or moniker, like it's uh-huh. like, a, like a character of yourself. And I think that's pretty much accurate of my, my alter. <laughs> Excellent. So on, on Instagram, uh, you have quite a bit of a following more than 21,000 people now on your other account or your artistic account. And it's Corey angry. And it is um, actually, I, I don't want to do it injustice. So share with us what Corey angry is and how it got started. <laughs> okay. So I think it was around 2016 um, when the election hit and Sure, like everyone else, I was going through a lot of anxiety, um, and I kind of felt like I needed like a something to bring a joy in me because I was just being so low and depressed about everything that was happening. So I kind of created this like um, a character that I'm not, but I always wanted to be, which is like a fucking angry kind of <laughs> um, a character that I could just say shit and just kind of share what's going on in my life without having like my family judging me or my friends judging me. (laughs) It's kind of like my escape that, that I kind of put myself into. It's awesome. It is liberating. Um, You know, I, I think I followed your content for a while. Uh, My wife is a huge fan. Um, She was even more geeked out than I was. She's like, you have who coming on your show? What? What? (laughs) So, um, Look, I, I think you have one of these creative accounts where we can get lost in your work for hours on end, just going through things, not only from a content perspective, but then to realize that, you know, you're actually hand modeling all these things and taking individual pictures of it. Um, so we'll, we'll get to all that. And but I, I think for us to fully understand how Unsu came to be as the creative genius that you are, but also <laughs> to sort of understand you mentioned something just now and you said, I wanted to create an alter ego of myself that I wasn't. Um, And and so I want to get to know a little bit more about you and how you came about, what you learned and all that fun stuff that makes you uh, the creative genius behind Corey Angry, but also um, somebody who you self-perceive to be somebody that is not. Um, So share with us a little bit about how you came to the United States. um, When, where, and under what circumstances did you come? Right. Um, Yeah, it's... uh... Well, I, I came to United States when I was 13. It was right three months after 9-11. Um, I came here as a, a tourist, a visiting person, which I did not know about. Um, my family just like, pack your back. You're just going to America. So I was like, okay. And I've never thought that, that I, this is like my one way ticket and I would never be able to come back for a long, long time. And growing up, I lived with my grandma in San Francisco in a studio apartment. And somehow my grandma um, talked to the person in San Francisco education um, department and they're just like, we're just going to enroll you right into the school. And I was just really confused because I didn't speak any English. Um, The first thing I did when I came here, they took me to this place to take a test and kind of like see, kind of get a temperature check of my English skill so they can put me in a right grade, which I was just so overwhelmed and confused uh so they actually put me lower grade and i was supposed in eighth grade but i was i just kind of got placed in the seventh grade in aptus middle school in san francisco public middle school and that's how i realized this is it this is i am i am 
living here, wow. <laughs> going to school. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it's kind of fascinating because I think, I think we our family has a mixed immigration status system where, like, some of our aunts, like, most all my aunts are like citizens, and they came into the legal pathway of a citizenship versus where I was in a system where. I just like came. So there was a lot of family drama of like, what makes you feel like you deserve to be here in, in the way that I wasn't able to. So, so there was like a weird family drama is going on between growing up, which was kind of uh, disheartening. (laughs) I I mean, that's unfortunate. Um, I I think at the, at the root of every family's immigration story is a desire to change something. And then we have to believe that it's changed for the better. right? Right. Um, Right. Korea, as people know it now, was a very different, or I guess Korea when you left and when I left was a very different place than what people perceive it to be today. And even right. today, right. behind the facade of the technology and the glitz and the glamour, the the wealth gap and the inequalities um, that right. are never really talked about, um, you know, are, are still, um, I guess, a motivating catalyst for a lot of why people are moving to America or other parts um, to, to seek better outcomes. Um right. So share with us a little bit about your, your teenage years. So you're here, you're, you're yeah. uh, in seventh grade. Yeah. You don't um, speak the language. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's absolutely true in that sense that like, uh, it was after the 9-11 that uh, former President George W. Bush likes talked about North Korea as a part of the excess of evil. And he made like a statement in publicly. And when I was growing up, being Korean was so not cool. Like it was just like a joke. People made fun of like food, like kimchi or like their name calling. And I was just kind of, kind of felt like, like sad that I, my identity was represented as something that is just so, um, Wrong. not a reflect, yeah, not reflective <laughs> of it. Like really, yeah. like really, really, and it was really hard to accept that because growing up, I didn't see a lot of um, diversity. Like I only saw Korean. It's a, South Korea is a very homogenous society where right. I didn't really see a person of a color until I came here and interacted with those like person of a color, and I just didn't understand the differences of a cultural differences and how to like understand and respectful of that yet i'm in a place where i'm not being respected (laughs) you know like it was really confusing um i didn't really have many friends i had a really hard time accepting myself or think of myself as an asian american growing up because i didn't want it to be clumped with another oh my god you're you must be friends with those asian people or like there was someone who had the same exact name um, in school and I didn't want to be associated with that person because she was like way cooler. <laughs> and I just kind of felt like I was always, always being compared to. Um, so I hide a lot of myself of being Asian and wanted to not be Asian for so long. <laughs> I want to be like, just accepted as someone else who is not Asian or Korean in general. Um, but it took a long time for me to understand that and embracing that. As an adult, it's tough. I think um, I I came when I was eight, so I came into the third grade. But similar, right? Like I, I hadn't seen a black or brown person since I came here, and um, I happened to move to a suburb in LA that was generally white and Korean, um, mm-hmm. white and Asian rather. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, our perceptions of what other people are like are unfortunately initially shaped by what our family tells us because. Right. That's the only, who else are you going to believe, right? We didn't have the internet. We didn't have um, digital media to um, 
you know, I, I guess in 2001, 2002, there was a little bit more, but still, um, a lot of that is unfortunately informed by that. Um, you said you live with your grandmother uh, by yourself mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. moved here. Um, how, mm-hmm. how did she end up here? And, and what, what, how did she end up yeah. living in San Francisco um, by herself? My grandma is a very fascinating person. She, um, she's been a citizen for many years. She lived in different parts of, she used to live in Hawaii, I think. And she lived in, in San Francisco with my aunts for a long time. And she gained her citizenship. Um, I think in her mind that I was the, one of the, the, one of the few grand like kids that are left in Korea that didn't get what she thought probably was like not enough of a chance to, to study in America. And she Mm -hmm. wanted to bring me because I was the one left, like me and my brother were the only ones. Great. So in her mind, I'm assuming that with the talk with my mom, but this could be a good opportunity for me because things weren't really going well for our family in Korea. So they probably thought that this was good for me. And I think that they were trying to explain to me and I'm sure I was like, like so young. So I just like, okay, I'm just going to go. I'm excited, but I didn't really expect it to be a whole journey of being undocumented immigrant for so long because they like not hidden like the information, but like they didn't really fully shared what was happening. And if they did, I probably haven't fully understood what that meant by it. It all like happened and started making more sense when I was graduating high school, mm. um, when I was applying for like uh, college application and I learned about FAFSA and like, like I started like, ex- like suspecting there's something going on with the social security numbers and everything. But it was just really more clear to me as I was graduating that, okay, I really don't have anything. Like this is not an option for me to continue my education in art colleges or anything that I that I planned so I had to come up with a terms like okay like what is my what is my role and what can I do to continue what I want to do um I was luckily uh, able to get an education in school of the arts in San Francisco public art high school um so in my head I was just had this dream of being like private art colleges in East Coast or like like a fine artist, you know. And um, when I learned and accepted the reality that it's not that, I had to kind of switch my direction to more practical, like City College and, or State University. And um, by a friend's suggestion, I looked into San Jose State University. When did you discover art? And when did you oh. know you were good at it and that you wanted to pursue it academically? Yeah, I kind of jumped around, but no, 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 yeah. Um, uh, so when I was in Korea, I didn't really have any um, art education because it was it's kind of like discouraged, honestly, because it's like it, it it's a expensive education in Korea. It's a private tutor. It requires a lot of money. And so it wasn't something that I was able to even think about until I came to the United States and um in middle school, I did some homework with drawing and some of the teacher in public middle school um, suggested that maybe you should try out for this public art high school called School mm. of the Arts in San Francisco. And it was something that I haven't really even thought that I could do. And I didn't get accepted for the first time, but I was on the wait list. And when they called me after a month or so, I just say, yeah, I, I definitely want to try it out. And that's where I learned uh, most basic art, art um, 
skills from drawings to the paintings to the sculpture and all this kind of curriculum was like divided to art disciplines. That's where I learned art. <laughs> I mean, that, that that's, I think, very, very cool, right? Because as you mentioned, um, art or anything in the arts um, in Korea or any, you know, many of the other Asian cultures is a, a profession of privilege. It's yeah. something that you need to have, uh, you know, the, the patience of capital yeah. and patience of time. And I guess you, it's hard to pursue when making a living or providing for your family is um, a well-known priority within your family, I guess is a good way to put it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's very different perspective in the States where it's a lot of, you know, do what you want and um, you'll, you'll make it work. And, and I, I do believe in both. I, I also think that um, systemically in Korea, it is hard, maybe easier now with the internet. Mm -hmm. um, but back then there were structures in place where you needed to have graduated from certain schools or have the right connections to even thrive or even be right. recognized or noticed given opportunities to showcase your craft. So, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, all, all in all, um, given what you're doing now and, and the, and the, and the craft that you have, I think, um, good, sort of good, um, came out yeah. of you, you coming over here. Um, so you ended up going to San Jose state to study, um, or I guess tell us what you studied there and, oh. And, and yeah, the circumstances yeah. of you ending up at San Jose State. Yeah. So I was such a snobby, like, teenager coming from art high school. Um, and then, like, seeing all my friends, like, going to East Coast to do, like, big time stuff. And I felt like that's also when I was reali realizing, okay, this is my real life. I was really reluctant to attend State University, not alone. Um the fact that I am switching my fine art, like oil painting to animation, which I thought there was some kind of a chance that there might be a more booming. Um, I mean, I, I just thought that there's like, there's like going to be a potential to be a good thing for things. And so I decided to just blindly like try for animation. And it was one of the like, like I was, so, I had a really hard time adjusting to the scene. I was very, reluctant to give a shot to make friends and I was just all in my head and that's also when I started like waitressing job under the table for um being in college I realized okay this is nothing is making me money so I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna have to serve tables so I think it's the whole reality hitting me and the fact that I have to like make ends meet every day like to buy serving food um it really scratched my like ego and like my myself um that i i had a really hard time often feeling like i'm an artist um and it was just such a switch um so quickly and from there i had from my, from there i just things kind of like started to like pan out a little bit better uh, fortunately yeah. I've gone every year got better for me in college where I started opening up more um, my ex-boyfriend in college was super super sweet guy that introduced me to his friend group of friends and just kind of like a whole group of animation folks like kind of accepted me and kind of always asked me to go to sketching and open up their doors and I learned that whole animation process is a very collaborative effort it's not a one-time individualistic thing and no one can claim I did one project. You really need a lot of people chipping in. Somebody's doing painting, somebody's drawing drawing, somebody's over-correcting it, editing. So I learned that it's a collaborative effort and that from there, I 
understood and, <laughs> and got to be really involved in this club, um, which was Animation Club, Shrunken Headman Club. Um, and I had a really, by the time that I was like graduating, I, I had a really blast of time. And the reason I was able to get an even internship at Nickelodeon Animation Studio was because through my connection and friends that recommended me for that position and everything kind of happened like like more naturally than anything and this whole time I was like waitressing too and but as the year going I felt more happy that it's it wasn't just black and white of like oh my god I'm not doing art like I'm not no longer an artist it's just like okay it's okay to like do a day job and then do art and that's a totally um a natural thing and I have kind of accepted that what was your do you lived in did you still live in San Francisco when you were commuting down to school no um so by the time i left san francisco um i was living in a dorm and then i lived with other like roommates in san jose okay. so i just took off like after after high school i just kind of left the city for good because yeah. i didn't want to go to san francisco state university i just really wanted to get out of the city and yeah. the closest city was san jose <laughs> so san jose state there i go and it was culturally it was really shocking because San Francisco and San Jose was very different vibe. Yeah. And to adjust that the city vibe was also different. Yeah. I mean, San Jose State or, or downtown San Jose, um, I mean, when you were there like eight years ago, very, very different than what they're trying to do today, even just trying to yeah. revitalize it. Um, it's not as dense. It gets very dark and quiet at night. Right. Yeah. Like without the without the students there. Um because I think while it's surrounded by large tech cities, the downtown area itself never really, it, it hasn't had its um, uh, gentrification moment yet. Yeah, not, yeah. Not, not it, to say that gentrification is good, but it the, the investments haven't come into the downtown area right. to make it as robust as, as San Francisco is. Um, I guess San Francisco is not doing well either in, in terms of its <laughs> you know yeah. social issues and, and other, um, other, other things. Um, so I, I want to take a, sidestep real quick and and you you mentioned something um earlier about uh one-way ticket here so mm -hmm. we're, we're yeah. now you're at about 20 years old um in school going having left uh the apartment with your grandmother in san mm -hmm. francisco mm -hmm. living on your own and pursuing um education uh making money for yourself waitressing doing doing the hustle that you needed to mm -hmm. do um at, at this point you had not gone back to Korea since you moved here. Yeah, um, I wasn't able to go back because, I mean, I didn't have a status. Like I mean, you that, could, but then you couldn't come yeah. back, right? Like, yeah, I, like if you were to, I mean, I guess like I could have went back, but I would be not be able to come back for ever, such a long right. time because of the yeah. bar and all that. And so that was such a fear of mine. Um, I mean, it just felt like I always felt like I could always go back. Life is so hard, but like the idea of like me not able to come back just really haunted me a lot. And I think I lived in that fear once I accepted that, oh my God, like I don't have that. That was a constant fear of me as I was graduating high school. And I lived with that fear of like just being deported or picked up by ICE or just all this like immigration related fear. But I also didn't felt like um, it was safe for me to share this information with anybody because I didn't, I wasn't surrounded by many, um, like I, I wasn't, I partly it was because I didn't take initiative to reach out, but also I felt so it was something that 
I had I felt like I had to hide. Like my family didn't openly talk about it. And I think the biggest reason why Asian undocumented families have in common is that it's something that you shouldn't talk about, like because it's they're concerned with your safety. They not they don't want anything bad happen to you. So for the longest time until I became an adult and working career and everything, I had to be really careful about my my story in general. Um, That's a problem that I think we need to fix with our generation. Um, it's not just immigration status. It's everything. Um, yeah. And not talking about it. Um, look, I think if for Korean Americans listening, we only need to go back maybe one and a half generations and parents, some parents, most of our grandparents went through war. Yeah. Um, we go to our grandparents' generation. They lived in, uh, you know, occupied Korea. Uh, we talked to our friends from Vietnam and uh, Laos and Cambodia, like actual war. Um, so we're not very far removed from crazy atrocities that people don't want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And so I think that has led down into people's mindset and our cultures to not talk about bad things and to not to say that if you ignore it, it will go away, but in their mind, and they're all well-intentioned, right? Like nobody wants bad stuff for their kids, but you know, why focus on the negative? You know, uh, Unsu's in America. She's trying to do good. She's trying to change. But part of what I've learned throughout my life and then doing these interviews and conversations is you have to know everything about as much as you can about where you're coming, where you're from and who you are. Cause then only then can you actually figure out who you want to be and how to get there. Um, and, and so, you know, whether it is about immigration status or whether it is about, you know, things of the past or, uh, mental health issues or, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, like if, if you're listening and if you're a parent or something, um, I can't tell you what to do, but I, I'd really encourage you to open up to your kids, uh, yeah. to open up to your other family members. Um, I, you know, it's, it's hard, um, opening up and, I think because shame is such a big thing in the Asian culture yeah. too, um, yeah. to, to share automatically insinuates that you're sorry that you messed up and that it's all your fault. Um, you know, it's either, I think a lot of Korean parents are like, I did everything or it's all my fault. They, they don't right. live in the gray, right? right it's right, either, right. you know, and, and so let's be in the gray. The majority of life is in the gray. Not, not, not very many things are binary in this world. So, right. um, that's man. I mean, you've. I I, I think you are um, pretty badass and pretty bold, and so for for going through what you've gone through and, and continuing to forge your path forward and, and to create things and create a life for yourself. Um, in in that time, though, um, have your parents and your brother been able to visit you here, or how has that relationship and communication been like? Yeah, uh, well, I'm not really in contact with my father, and my brother came as my my brother came and joined us, like joined me to live here. Um, um, it was just kind of hard because, like, we had like my mom was trying to come here to to basically like support me and my brother in in that like maybe we can work this out. But first, they came as a, a student visa, like my mom wanting to study, so she 
got the school and masters, then she had a student visa, and my brother was under her. So they came、mm. with the legal status, and they fell out. And then my mom didn't want it to like become undocumented because she she's a teacher in Korea, so she went back. But my brother stayed. So it's like we have all those mixed family like situations where where like it's. It's not one way or the other. Like you know, when I was growing up, it was just so easy to like say, "Oh, you're illegal here," or "legal illegal." It was just so like you were saying, it was so binary of legal illegal. But as I learned and as the time went by, it's not just legality of it. It's just there mixed situations, and there each immigration cases are so different、um, that like it's the system is not really helping to. Help out to 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 comprehensively understand how we can adjust it, and within the adjusting system, like some people are not able to do this because there's one thing that flags or the other. So, my brother is a very different、um, story than I am, and I don't know if I I don't know if I should like focus on his immigration story because it's my story.、Um, so I can't,、uh, but.、Um, Yeah, so that's、uh, my brother was a huge part of me, and he still is. And I think having him did help、um, growing up. But it was until it wasn't until later after I after the teenager time. Thank you for that context, and I, I know it's not easy.、Um, and even though it seems like it's just me talking to you, more people will listen to this eventually, and you know that. So、um, you're you're very bold and, and courageous for.、Um, Being okay with with sharing your story, I, I think, and just like we talked about just now, like it takes more of us sharing these stories. Yeah.、Um, sure. Number one, we feel better. The cathartic process of release is、yeah. more beneficial and、um, unquant unquantifiably therapeutic to us. But to hear the story,、um, and for other people to then act on that. You'll never really know the ripple effects of your small act today and sharing your personal story、mm-hmm. because I don't know who. I just know that I can guarantee it that somebody's life will improve for the better after hearing your story, and it could be the day that this episode uploads, or it could be two years from now, and people go, "Holy shit, I'm not alone." And yeah. Yeah. To to simplify what we're doing here on the show is. Just to make people feel less alone in this world. Yeah.、Um, everybody's story, in every individual story that we share, is so unique. Yet、right. there's so many variances of it.、Um, and and so I I think it is super cool.、Um, so let's jump back into school. You're at San Jose State. You're、mm-hmm. hustling, waitressing, doing、mm-hmm. your thing,、mm-hmm. and, and you've got a great group of friends supporting you and. Um, you have the vision of becoming and being a successful、um, animator and, and a creator.、Um, what happens next? Where do you go from San Jose State?、Um, from San Jose State, for the last year before I graduated,、um, me and my ex-boyfriend made this like eight-minute stop-motion film called Couch and Potatoes, and it's like clay animation. It's just we just like devoted our time. On our own, like for a year and a half, to just make this stop motion film, just because I think we we took a class、um, 
taught by Baron Story, and he's a really famous illustrator who's hugely into zine and traditional illustration, encouraged us to do outside of animation things, like just to do it yourself, like just like a project that is just on your own, like telling narrative and all that. And and that's where we were inspired. So there were a lot of friends made like short films, like for the sake of making short films. And one of those films that I worked with my ex-boyfriend was about the stop motion clay animation. And from then I just realized how much I love making props and sets. And it just kind of felt so like organic like I really like the control aspect of it like there was nothing that I was able to control growing up my feelings mm-hmm. I was not allowed to like control my feelings I wasn't allowed to say a lot of things I wasn't allowed to say pff, immigration status like there's a lot of things that I wasn't able to control but when I made like miniature like build the world I felt like everything is like I'm making it like I can't fully decide what to add and what to not add or it just really calmed me down and I kind of realized that this is something that I really that I'm really drawn into. I love it so much, and I kind of kept thought about, okay, maybe I can look into keep building a miniature and whatnot. So that's as I was as we were finishing this film, I was moving down um, because I had an internship opportunity, and the only reason I was able to able to get this internship was because it was unpaid internship at the time. Um, so it was just like I came to United States one way. I kind of think of it. I took a one way mega bus down to LA and just loaded all my stuff and just like going to LA and this is it. And just kind of, I guess like I just kind of left in the middle of the semester. Like I got an internship and I'm going to go LA. It's not going to pay me. And then the restaurant was like, you can't leave us. Like, you're the best English speaker in this restaurant. Like, we'll promote you to the manager, you know? And I'm just like, nope, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to give a shot. So, Talk to me more about that risk part. Um, this is like movie stuff, right? Like, it's not dramatic, but it is. I, I can picture like you taking everything you own. Yeah. Um, and, and just like you did once before, I- embarking on a journey to a new city down here in L.A., um, like h- how did the internship opportunity come about and, and what made you feel that that was the right thing? Because um, the internship at Nickelodeon wasn't even in the creative space. You just wanted yeah. to get in the door. Yeah. Um, share us more about that, that part of your life. Mm. Um. Yeah, Nickelodeon Animation and Children's Animation Program was a huge, huge, um, I guess, step for, like, inspiration growing up when I first came to the United States. Because I didn't speak any English, and I watched TV all day. I watched SpongeBob. I watched, like, PBS, Sagwa, Arthur's. Like, I was a little bit too old for it, and I've never admitted this. But, like, just watching this children's TV, I learned and I picked up a lot of phrases and I just, like, really enjoyed it. And just to see just that how that sipped into my, like, college education as animation. And just when I got a call for just, like, a recruiting department, HR department, I just, like, didn't even care if it was a creative or not. Just the fact that, oh, my God, just had a, this, like, opportunity. Why not just... Why not just go and test it out? And it was really interesting timing because that's when I applied for the DACA for the first time. 
that mm. as I was like applying DACA, um, I left LA and the internship lasted about three, four months. And by the time, like, okay, I have to either leave LA, go back to the restaurant in San Jose, or like, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, DACA came through and then they offered me a job as a production assistant. Oh, that's and beautiful. Yeah, it was just such a wild timing and uh, the best decision I ever made, <laughs> I think. Share with us some lessons that you learned in hindsight and advice for some people that might be listening that have maybe that itch or that pull to go do what they feel like in their gut, but the fear of leaving something stable, whether it is school or job or family, whatever, it feels so daunting. Um, how did you make that decision and what advice do you have now? And what did you do in LA to survive and feed yourself and make money for those four months down here? Yeah. Um, so oh, let me see. So most recently I've done um, crowdfunding of my own self-published comic book. And the person who I met through the Kickstarter uh, was Camilla and Camilla I was really hesitant to take this risk of running the crowdfunding. And Camilla says something that stuck with me for so long. And Camilla said, like, as an artist, you need to take a risk um, and you can decide which risk that you want to take. There's mm -hmm. so many risks and you get to decide, but risk by taking the risk, you'll be exposing yourself to new audience and new things. Because I was just doing events like zine events and that's how I met Camilla through. And myself doing those events were taking a risk, not being in California, going outside of California. But also Camilla was like, maybe you should like consider exposing yourself to different type of audience. The only people that you reaching out is just through this event or social media, but like engage in different projects and see how that goes. And you maybe you'll come across someone that you never met before. Someone will come across your project they never heard before. And that really stuck with me a lot. And it has to do with, I think, comfort level too. Like when you're taking a risk, are you able to um, recover, you think? And like what, how far you can put yourself out there without feeling like, oh my God, I lost everything. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, I, 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 th I definitely thought that like LA would not pan out. But part of me, the reason I think I left um, San Jose was because I wasn't really seeing anything other than being in a restaurant too. Like part of me was just thinking that even if it wasn't LA, I was kind of like in my back of my mind, I wanted to do something outside of norm and pattern. And that when it came with the opportunity, um, it just kind of felt like I have, I'm just going to go. Um, I also think that the opportunity only shows up when you are prepared. Like, yes. I was working hard. I, I worked on a lot on my resume. I worked, I, you know, I networked and, you know, I built a connection. So part of it is just that it's not just like a random opportunity and luck. I think it is only shows up to people who are somewhat ready and prepared too. So. I, there's a lot of valuable wisdom um, in, in <laughs> what you're sharing. And I, I think, um, some might look at your story and go, I think going to LA made sense. There wasn't really much to pursue in San Jose. So people always, I think, look at the relative risk in terms of what you are leaving behind, whereas I think they should look at 
mostly the upside of what you can achieve. Um, this is uh, scarcity mindset versus abundance mindset. What is possible if you leave behind, doesn't matter what you leave behind, create the upside for yourself in this new life. And um, then what? Only people who have nothing to lose can take risk? That's not true either. Um, and especially in a field where um, there's really not a whole lot of people that look like me and you, um, yeah. especially in Hollywood and in the big studios. Um, and, and for you to believe in yourself enough, and I'm sure mixed in with, I, I don't have see a lot of opportunity for myself where I am currently. Um, mm -hmm. that, that's so cool. Um, so you've been down here, let's say you came down here in, in 12, you've been here about four years, you're, you're working at uh, Nickelodeon for the majority of your time. Yeah. Um, and, and you did a stint over at DreamWorks. Um, so you have very impressive names and impressive things on your resume. Um, and you mentioned earlier at the top of the interview that it was the after effects of 2016 election that really inspired you to create something um, and to express yourself through your creative outlet. Um, the, your, the first post that you made on the Korea Angry Instagram page is at the very end of 2016 in, in late December. Um, when was the idea first born in your head and what was the process like just noodling in your head until you actually decided to um, build the clay model mm -hmm. and then say, I'm going to share this with the world? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think throughout the career, um, I think this is about mid 20. Like after I did like career um, animation industry is very like not stable, right? Like it's an entertainment business. So when things are going great, everyone gets a job. But when things don't go, the ratings and network and whatever cancel, like then everyone loses a job too. And for me, I didn't really understood the concept of layoff for a long time because I've always been working and having that layoffs like here and there and working in animation industry, I realized that like career is not everything. And there was something that wasn't fulfilling Partly is maybe it was identity um, surge, like that coming up, like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, I'm in like mid-20. Um, also partly was because that whole, the the heated immigration debates and that you right. were seeing, I was seeing in 2016. And that prompted me to attend the immigration conference for the first time in Texas. Um, and that was the huge pivotal point for me to see. There was so many undocumented immigrants and immigrant rights workers and they're just having a conference and talking about like, what's our next step, what's going on and how to survive, how to protect ourselves. It's a lot, lots of like, like three day like convention of workshops and talks. And I was just really inspired because mostly this immigration conference called United with Dream and it mostly ran by young youth. like like teenagers and early 20s and moms like I just been so like inspired and shocked that that I felt like I I feel like I need to do something about my own story and that's that was my first time publicly doing an interview with LA Times about who I was and why I was doing there <laughs> what I was doing there what I'm trying to achieve and that's when I realized oh my god I need to put myself out there in a way that is like 
that is more true true about myself besides from animation. And I think it partly was because I was out of job and that helped me to like work on my personal project that is unfiltered because I was working in children's programming. And now that I'm on my own, I felt like, okay, I, I want to do something that is yeah. just like raw, like myself. Partly was because I was um, okay with like how people are describing me, right? Like I was, I thought it was like a normal when people like, throw racist like slurs at me on the street like ni hao or like you know she she whatever the chinese random chinese word whatever whatever the like random asian word that they think of like would just thrown at me and i would just would not respond or like don't like would told to not to respond and it just felt like i was okay with a lot of like rude comments that i had to embrace and kind of live with it and I kind of felt like, why do I have to be okay with that? And I saw myself describing myself as like Asian person in that way that people wanted to hear too. Just for the joke, I was making fun of myself in a way that I didn't want it to. And it's it was just okay. At that time, it was just so okay. And I kind of felt like, why am I doing that? It just kind of gave me like, why am I behaving a the way that people describe me and being okay with it and living with it and kind of started like, yeah, what is it? <laughs> and I started writing down what is making me really angry, even like a smaller things, like even like a piss of little things and just kind of like writing down. And there was a plenty of reason why I'm angry the way I was and kind of designed a character um, and then kind of build the character from there. That's... That's really, really inspiring. I, I, I think you, you've turned anger into something really amazing. Um, and uh, there's been a lot to be angry about um, over, over the last, uh, God, it seems like forever, um, right. three and a half years. Um, yeah. Take me through your creative process of Corey Angry. Um, we see what makes it on Instagram, um, which are extremely well photographed, um, very well written and organized thoughts. That is the artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, what? How long do these take? What is, what is the creative process, and um, what do you enjoy most about it? Yeah. Um, so I, it takes a long time. I publicly I make a published zines about three to four months. One issue for three to four months. So it takes a while to put everything together. Each comic um, depends on the comic idea. Can take a couple hours to like a couple days, like building props and whatnot. I have ideas and I have stories that I write down first, and then and then kind of get a temperature if this is an okay time to post it or not i'm more wary of that so i just take a bunch of pictures set dress it put her in her pose take pictures and just at this time i'm just kind of thinking what am i telling what am i saying like thinking about how she's saying it if she's interacting with another character like kind of like had that in my mind and i kind of organically like go with it i don't really have a set specific type like storyboard or anything it just said I just kind of go with the flow and like, what if she did this and that and kind of do it and then upload all the photos on Photoshop and go through a selection process of like adjusting and then write the comic and I have my partner like look at my comic and to see if it makes sense or it's clear, um, kind of get a feedback. I only like ask like 
feedback to very limited like people because I don't really need a whole lot of your feedback. <laughs> I just need to tell. That's, that's make part of being angry. You don't give a shit about <laughs> what other people think about you. That's just good. Yeah. yeah so uh, I do that and then I post it um, different platform. But when I post an Instagram, that's not the end because I it doesn't like I, my end goal is to have it as physically like made a print material zine. So I would have to go back and put it in a layout that works with my zine format. And so it's it's just a lot of libraries work. And sometimes the puppet like needs a lot of like maintenance. It needs to update the armature or sometimes it breaks. So I would have to go back and rebuild the characters. It's wild. Uh, very impressive. Um, let's talk about the growth. Um, when you started posting in December um, 2018, you know, you weren't, um, and most creators, we don't, uh, you know, we don't birth things into an existent uh, fan base or an audience. Right. We're, right. we're starting from zero. Um, you did it with your page. I'm doing it with this podcast. Many, many, many people are, um, there, there's such a grind process of wanting to quit and what am I doing with my time and my life? And is this going to yeah. mean anything? Um, yeah. Looking back at it now, obviously it was the right choice because not only has it been uh, helping you, um, you know, create an income for yourself and, and engage the community. It's, it's been therapeutic for you. It's been uh, highly therapeutic for me. And I know so many other people. Um, what was the first year like? What kept you mm. going when you weren't getting many clicks mm. or many comments? Um, I'm scrolling through the earlier parts of Instagram and we're talking like 30, 40 likes and, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and no comments and no engagement, but you're consistently pumping out content, which, as you just mentioned, takes a ton of time. Um, what what kept you going? Um, yeah, I, I lost so much money and time and effort. <laughs> which is like, it's so sad. It's just like there were like there were like events I went. I just sold one. And like for six hours, like nobody's looking at your work. I feel so like this is a waste of my time. Like, um, but then there will be like one or two people will come and they're like, this is the best thing ever. I relate to you so much. Or like I got so many Korean, um, Korean undocumented immigrant or DACA recipient. Like this is like, this is my first time meeting somebody who's doing this work. And that makes me feel so like touched and validated and not even just Korean or Asian person, like a person who is completely different than me and would just come up. I relate to your anger and I just feel so seen and just heard. And that kind of connection makes it very like the feeling of what we're feeling. It's just so universal and so connecting. Right. Like and that kind of validation and feeling feels so good and made me feel like, it's worth it. Like, it's all worth it. Like, I kept telling myself it's all worth it because it's just, I didn't really need anybody's approval to make this comic in the first place. Yeah. Like, and I think that's that's the part that I try to often forget to the, like, lately because I sometimes I'll get haters. And then I just have to remind myself, I never made contents for any, like, haters or I never, like, made a content to make people happy in right. the first place. It was just like I was doing for myself. So like it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Yeah, sometimes like when my post got more likes than the other, that's great. But at the same time, it's like I feel like it doesn't matter because like it doesn't make did that make me feel happy and good about right. it at the end? That's I felt like that. And the whole 
social media is so cringy and icky. <laughs> the self promotion and marketing, I hate it so much.、Um, but it's also very important aspect of it. I res- like responding to customer emails and like all that. Like it's so 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 hard. But once I got used to that, figuring things out one by one, like learning about mailing stuff and like, just dealing with the shop fly, like small things from there. Like I felt like okay, maybe I can do this. Like it gets easier. <laughs> um, like I lost so much money for printing in the wrong places, but now I feel like I'm figuring out that makes it okay. I can make it work if I do this, and it's definitely coronavirus. This whole pandemic hit so hard on. A lot of zine fests or like comic events or like people who make convention, like make a living off a convention. It really hit a lot, but also the the creative energy that people can like tune into and put it into, have been really inspiring. Like, and that community has been. I think the zine, the community has been really really helpful for me to remind what what I'm doing is so worth it, worth it all. You know, I I think it it has to be.、Um, the hours are long. The work、uh, many times is unthanked.、Um, people really don't know the full—I、uh, don't know—array or just the total amount of time and energy it, it takes to build something that they just get to hear for an hour or just to you know quickly swipe through.、Um, but similar to you, it's those random notes that pop up in your inbox or you know your email, and you're just like, "Holy shit, we're changing lives."、Um, You know,、yeah. people are people are crying over this,、yeah. and、um, and it's from the most you know unsuspecting of places. Some of the most thoughtful notes that we've gotten here on the show are from Ohio and Indiana and Kentucky. Yeah. And, well, it makes、yeah. sense. They don't have access to Asian American stuff. So,、yeah. um, one guy literally said he went onto Stitcher and he go and he typed in Asian American podcast. He didn't even know where to go,、yeah. and somehow he found us and and.、Um, And and actually, we're we're actually working on a show together for him.、Um, awesome. So, so yeah, he'll have his own show. It, it's it's crazy stuff. And and, and so I I think it's, um, how how do you define success of this project of yours? Uh, and I think it's okay to for for people who we we have to market ourselves, right? It, it's not pretty,、mm-hmm. but it's part of the process. Um,、mm-hmm. we we want to impact society and community with our work. Um, and the way that we can do it is by having more people look at it,、uh, and a part of doing that work requires money for us to be fund, to to be able for us to fund the work that we do, and also perhaps to minimize some of the other work that we have to do so that we can focus on creating better content. And、um, I had a lot of trouble with that too, and、um, getting better at it every day in terms of、uh, my labor is valuable, and, and therefore、mm-hmm. we need to、um, create a system where we can do more of it. And 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 so I, I am fascinated to hear your definition of what success means for you from an artist perspective, and、mm-hmm. what you see as the the future of Corey Angry being in the next chapters. I think the success is I see it is that you are able to do unrelated your work to keep yourself keep going without burning out, like balancing out. It's okay if you pick up some random gigs. I pick up random gigs to just to like make it end. You know, I do different things to to keep my creative. Like the moment that you are able to separate that feeling without like 
losing a focus like i think that's i think that's success because you're keep making it yeah monetary is really important but also like the fact that you're able to continue practice your creative stuff without letting your ego or like feeling get to like i'm i'm like not being an artist because i'm doing other random gig not separating the feeling and keep going is what i think of as successes and for me i have i mean i have whole plans to do this someday to like a, do short segments of a short you know when i pitch a show i want to make a um like a consensus and st- stereotype like children's book i want to do different like type of projects that's related with this but also like continue to work on educating what i know of to people who are not maybe familiar with my story, my culture, like the identity in between. Um, just kind of like keep going with different type of projects too. Um, I think if you can do that, I think you're successful. You don't have to. <laughs> like just focus on like the wealth and gain as success. If you can continue to like keep going, I think that's a being a successful artist for me. What's next for you? Um, we're not, I don't want to say that we're at your peak because I don't, I don't think we are. Yeah, um, yeah. Or, or I guess let's let's um, go, go a little bit before that. Um, what was your most, and again, I don't want to belabor the point on vanity yeah. metrics because they're simply vanity metrics, but they do help in, in validating some of the work that you're doing. Um, and knowing that your work is being shared and is being resonated mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me two things. One, the first post and the, your first creation where you were just like, holy crap, this is mm-hmm. blowing up. And then looking back at it now after, you know, hundreds of posts, like your most memorable one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like, I think the one post I blew up was about the Know Your Right immigrant mm-hmm. comic. And that's uh, through, I took a lot of immigrant workshops here and there and did the read a lot and just kind of like got the training of what to do when the ice comes to your door. And it's such a concept that I wasn't um, familiar with, but as I learned through the workshop, there were very, very specific points that I felt like, oh, this is something that everyone should know about. So I posted that and it just kind of got blew up. And that was Mm. one of the biggest post I've done and that was also the most excruciating post because that's when I first realized that um that I am getting legit haters <laughs> like threats like uh people really just, like, yeah DMing me like I'm gonna come find you I'm gonna Why? deport you I'm gonna call on ice on you because it's a different political discourse like it's like like by posting what I know what I that I know that is constitutional right to like protect ourselves. Um, there were whole different like group, like other side of radical group that saw it as like, this is like, you know, ridiculous. So oh, they were just kind of bringing yeah. all their political, yeah, like things to on my feast and just kind of hate comments and reporting. It's just, it's inevitable if you're making something that is, um, I feel like it's inevitable as an artist, like at some point in your life, you'll make something that just cause a stir, like kind of like, for, at least for me, what I've been doing is something so personal and it's it's not really 
liked by everyone. <laughs> so I understood that and that's fine. But first that one was really hard because I was not, nobody, nobody teach you what to do when that happens. Nobody like goes through with you. It's okay to like let go of this stuff. And I learned that from hard way. And ever since then, I took me three weeks to recover. <laughs> um, like, and then, uh, you know, in a strange way, ever since then, nothing is really that scary for me. Like sure. me posting about Black Lives Matter, I got a lot of haters for that comment too. But like, I just kind of like kind of tuned it out. Somehow it just kind of like, kind of, it doesn't bother me as much because yeah. I'm like, okay, it's like, you're just like trolls. Like, like it's everywhere. And I think you have to like learn to like balance it out. Like I'm still learning, <laughs> but like balancing is really hard to like let go, let go. Like, and, and it's hard, right? I, um, it's hard because you continue, you, you have continued to say, this is for you, right? This is Unsu's release. This is Unsu's yeah. project. And I don't give a shit what other people think. However, when you do things in the public space is yeah. of uh, creativity and is a reflection of voice right. and opinion. Um, people on both sides, right? Um, do you get Korean people or Asian people in your inbox saying, you should do something oh, about yeah. this? Yeah. Care about my All issue. Um, All the time. This is the most All important the thing in the world. Create something for me. I, I get that shit too. And I'm like, I mean, one, you should say hi first and build a relationship and like, yeah. Be, be nice, right? Yeah. Or, or, or two, but like, how, how do you deal with the burden on, on both sides of, um, I, I, I noticed in, in your, um, for, for some of the more, uh, I guess, testy posts, um, you've, yeah. uh, blocked commenting, which is smart. Uh, yeah. A preemptive measure to, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. control the, the, the dialogue there. Um, but how, how do you deal with internally yourself the, the, the burden of, uh, people wanting to be somebody else, not authentically you, on both sides. It's it's super hard because I think while you appreciate their energy and their like their um, attention and everything, I think that I saw myself like, oh my god, I'm like being pulled left and right about what people want here and there, and I kind of start losing what I want to say. Like I start realizing myself, like, oh my god, I'm so worried. Should I post this or not? Should I put like? And I just question, like, when did I start feeling like this way? Why, why am I like being so worried about my platform? Like, and just like kind of felt like it sounds ridiculous. I usually like try to like thank them, th like on the messages, or sometimes if it gets ridiculous, I don't even respond anymore. I don't even feel bad anymore. <laughs> Like I kind of like stop feeling bad about myself because like this is this is my platform and I built up to this for an individual to make me feel so low. Like I just kind of just kind of I have to tune it out because I have to focus on my thing. Like if people relate to my stuff, that's great. But if people don't and they feel like they're entitled just because they're a fan, I don't think it's fair because it's like you know I can't make every content that please you, right? Like it's like. Right. It's like people don't understand the creative, like you were mentioning, like the effort and hours and the feeling. And people forget, like, I'm a real person. Like, right. like, like because it was being told by this armature, that doesn't mean that I, I don't exist. I, sure. I had to turn off the comments because it was getting ridiculous. Um, and being trolled is something that you are not expecting. And <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's fun. 
or it's like here here's my venmo right like support the work that i do yeah. like because yeah. it's i want to support you and give you ideas and yet i'm not yeah. willing to support you financially yeah. or any other meaningful way um i mean you've I, I feel like there's so much to learn from you like there's you know you, you did a kickstarter you exceeded your goals and you are um, building a fan base both online and in real life to to build a, a foundation of support um there's a lot and and i think the biggest lesson that we take away from you is um just that you have to do it for you to know yeah. if you can do it or not um i mean the first one wasn't your choice the second one was but you left everything behind and literally jumped on a plane jumped on a bus not knowing um if you'd ever go back um and you're still young and you have the rest of your life ahead of you and it's really really um like just inspiring and awesome um and i think whether you used the character to <laughs> initially Mm -hmm. display the emotions and to say stuff because for a while nobody knew who you were right like now i think people are, yeah. are putting the yeah. two and two together but for the very first while you're like who the fuck is this right this is cool yeah. but like who yeah. is this and yeah. and there was value and like glory and anonymity for a while right because you can say what you yeah. wanted um yeah how is doing this helped you find your voice and for you to be proud of who you are authentically mm. and not this black and white of i'm quiet and you know, right, right. reserved yeah. here in real life. And then with the character, it's yeah. like, ah, yeah. how do you, yeah. how did that fuse together? <laughs> it's like, I think it's like, it's so funny because um, it almost became a thing that I want to be so much in real life that when I actually like, you know, I when I actually like experience like racism in the street, like sometimes I'm just so flabbergasted the fact that like this is happening to me. It took me a while to like, like process what just happened. Um, and then I started to realize that I would slowly start to speak up um, because I was thinking about, I am doing this work in my comic and kind of made, didn't make sense that I can't even stand up in the real life in real sense. And, and yeah, I'm really, really nervous and shaky, but I call out. I call out and I saw myself like, wow, that's like it's such a huge difference from myself like, like like putting my head down and going away versus like me like kind of thinking about oh my god this does not make me feel good and it's not nice of this person to say this thing and, and I see small changes that I see like small changes that I didn't see myself until now I felt like I'm gaining a lot of confidence like to talk about my work and why it matters to me like everything that I do that I haven't done before I feel like that is a huge progress that I gained from this project. I mean, the fact that I could even like talk about my mom about LGBTQI, what what it stands for, like I was never able to do that. And now right. I'm like explaining to her why is it important? Like, like we still get into like this weird political things and like like talk about like BLM was really hard because not because she didn't understood it, it was just hard to like have a healthy conversation right. to have that like in real life it's just like a huge change that i was able to like 
translate. Even if it was like something that is not easy, right? Like, I can now like okay, this is totally funny. I can totally make fun of this situation <laughs> on my comic, or like I was able to like kind of translate that. I don't know how it happened, but somehow like. Things that used to make me really angry now I just like this is a great content like this juicy right. <laughs> juicy content I can put it in my work and I don't even like they think of it as like oh my god I'm so upset and I feel really happy about it at the end. I I, I obviously your story's not done. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I think it's awesome that you're able to um as we approach our, our next election um in about 100 days um to look back and sort of uh internalize and, and process how this journey of having a very frightening moment which for me and for a lot of us it was on, on that uh night in november 2016 yeah. and and how you used it to uh, change people's lives, uh, to encourage others, to instill hope and confidence in so many people, but most importantly, starting with you, um, to then be able to uh, build this platform, which it's called Corey Angry because it was an outlet of your frustrations, but now using it as a place to educate mm -hmm. and to build a bridge between two cultures, not just Asian and American or Korean and American, but multi-generational, multi-religious, and just all different layers that make being Asian American so freaking complex. Yes, we always say we're not a monolith, but have you really thought about how complex this shit is, right? Like, yeah. um, and, and so it's been really, really cool to see you use your gifts that, uh, I don't know, you didn't think one day in high school that you could pursue because yeah. of some situation that you were put in that was also completely not your fault. Um, but then to see it blossom into this thing where, um, you know, it's helping people feel less alone and helping people feel heard and understood. Um, I applaud you um i thank you for doing what you're doing and uh keep on doing it um there's a, a big legion of fans out there um starting with our household and <laughs> there's awesome. it's uh, look i and um you are doing a amazing slightly different version of the same thing that i'm doing which is to show through not only through our voice, but by actually being and doing that we can teach our children and each other that we can do whatever the hell we want yeah. using the gifts that we do. Yeah. But here's the thing that most people don't follow up with. Gotta work your fucking ass off. Yeah. Right? You you did 200 of these, which yeah. means there are tens of thousands of unpublished pictures and broken yeah. clay and tears and angry and lots of bills yeah. at the art store. You know, like... Yeah. We only see this. Um, so keep on doing what you're doing. Um, and I, I think more than ever, um, people need 
a place to process. People need to understand they need a place to heal, a place to be angry, and many places to express that anger. Um, but ultimately, anger is not the destination. Anger is a stop on the process to heal and to make this a a positive, a more welcoming, engaging place. So, um, yeah, I, this is you, you are. Uh, we're, we're, we're big fans, and and we thank you for doing what you're doing. Um, and and so, yeah. I mean, I, I want to end this um, conversation the same way that we end all of our conversations. Um, and it is a nod back to the name of the show, uh, Dear Asian Americans. It is a love letter to us, from us, and ultimately for us, those of us in the Asian American community, to share messages of celebration, support, and inspiration um, to each other. And, and so would love for you to help us finish out the show and finish the letter, Dear Asian Americans. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Um, it's, it's been really wonderful. What advice or last words of wisdom do you have to a younger version of Unsu? Um, um, maybe let's just say four years ago, summer of 2016. Mm -hmm. um, what would you share with somebody who had ideas of creating something to share expression um, coming from somebody who actually did it and has been doing it consistently for the last three and a half years? Mm, I would say... Um... I would say, where do you see yourself if you don't do it now? Like, do you think the reason why you don't hear about it is because, because just because they didn't really get to do it or because they didn't start? I think that if you feel like you have an idea, just give a shot, just like, you took the bus. <laughs> I would say that. Take a one-way ticket into your future, just like Unsu did. Um, and you really, as, as cliche as it may sound, guys, um, you have no idea what's possible unless you try. Um, and yeah. it starts with one. I know in social media times and I know in the ever-present world of comparison till death, we always look at people you might look at Unsu's account on Instagram and say, I can't do that. She's got 21,000 followers. Wait, she started with one. We start all with one and it grows and it's not linear. It's hockey stick. It's exponential. You have to have enough tenacity and patience to build during the flat times. And it will might be, it might be flat for a long time. Um, most of your peers will quit. I guarantee you that. Somebody else has a better idea, let them do it. Outwork them, outlast them. Create longer, cre work harder. Um, if it's that important to you, don't stop because we're, we're, we're talking legacy now. This is what you're going to be known for. Your kids yeah. are going to watch this. Your grandkids are going to read this. And, and so do it for them. Do it for you. Do it for the little kid who needs you to tell them that. So um, this has been such an amazing and awesome uh, just on all, on all aspects of, of the emotion spectrum. Um, Unsu, thank you. Um, you. You can find Unsu on Instagram at Corey Angry. If you haven't, you should get that trademark. It's like the coolest name ever. <laughs> I copyrighted um, the name and then put it in. But yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. You, you can also read about her uh, most recently in Voyage LA, in yeah. the East Sider LA. Okay. Um, you can you can see her going back all the way to um, 2016 or 2018 when she was featured in the LA Times about going to the United We Dream conference. Um, so many different magazines in your art space mm-hmm. who have recognized you for the hard work that you're doing. And if, whether you're listening to us or whether you are uh, watching this interview, um, you don't get to see the photos of her studio and her workplace, which will actually give you so much more perspective and awe of the process that it takes for somebody to create something. Um, and so if you're listening out there, I invite you to Google it, find it. We'll link it in our <laughs> podcast notes, but um, support the work that she's doing. And if you are a creator and you have that itch, do it. Reach out to her. Reach out to me. If you need support, follow us. Um, None of us are here by our own doing. And you're not going to get anywhere by yourself either. So reach out for help. We're happy to help. Um, Unsu, thank you so much for doing what you're doing. Uh, Thank you for spending time with us, sharing your story, and uh, continue to change the world. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you so much. It was so, so fun. I love talking about it. And I think you're doing a really amazing thing. It's, it's really, really awesome to <laughs> see someone else who's also like telling the story of our own. And on last note, we've been talking for an hour on some change and not once did she get angry. So maybe she's not, <laughs> maybe she is not so curry angry after you all. You might guys. see me in a comment, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, she's going to make a comic after us. Okay. <laughs> Bye, guys. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining. I want to thank Unzu again uh, for sharing her story. Topics that are were once taboo and once unspeakables. And now she is sharing them out with us. And um, really proud of her journey. Really excited to see what she's creating uh, with her brand, with little Curry Angry. Really enjoy reading the post. And, you know, as, as we talked about on the show, it's actually becoming... It has become a way for us to discuss very important and heavy topics with our families. So at the top of the show, we mentioned the show or the event that's coming up next week on July 30th, how to talk to your Asian family about anti-black racism. And in a way, Unsu is doing the same by giving us resources. Um, You'll see in her recent post, there is an explanation in Korean on what the different types of uh, gender identities are and why black lives matter. And so... We're all doing our part. Thank you, Unsu, uh, for creating this amazing character uh, that brings us a lot of uh, catharsis, a lot of relief, a lot of laughter, and and sometimes tears. Um, Keep on doing what you're doing. We're really proud of you. And again, go check out at Corey Angry. Do check out us on Instagram at The Asian Americans, on YouTube, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and on Twitter. We couldn't fit all the words, so it's just The Asian Am. Shoot me a note wherever you can on any of our socials or on my personal at Jerry J. Wan on Instagram, or you can find me just about anywhere else. want to talk to you. want to hear from you. I'll help you answer your questions. And I've connected with a lot of you. And, and so thank you for doing that. Uh, my inbox is really open. I do take the time to read all of them. And each and every single one of your notes means so much to me um, as it motivates me and keeps me going and, and producing these interviews. Thanks again for joining. Wherever you are, whenever you may be listening to this, We wish you all the health, safety, and happiness. Till next time, thanks for tuning in to Dear Asian Americans. This has been your host, Jerry Wan.